Ever feel like you've fallen in a hole? And that you can't get out? That is the picture, it's vivid, of our problem before we were rescued by Christ. It's the great refrain of Galatians. It's the wondrous theme of this freedom and grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. The passage that Henry read is one of the great but God passages in the New Testament. And it's classic. Once we were in the hole, we were struggling under the curse of the law, and we were relying on ourselves, but God rescued us from the curse of the law. You were trusting in yourself, trying everything possible to pull yourself from the hole, to lift yourself from the hole of addiction or from the hole of a broken marriage. You were doing everything you possibly thought was possible to pull yourself from the hole of depression or from the hole of discouragement or from the hole of defeat and indecision, or from the hole of fear or unbelief, or the hole of anxiety. And you tried everything, but you remained in the hole. And the scripture says it's because we're under a curse when we're relying on anything else but the grace and goodness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But God. But God. But for God, we were all under a curse. Paul says the curse of the law, sin abounds. But God delivers through Jesus Christ and and says to us, grace superabounds. Paul says in his letters to the Ephesian believers, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, spiritually dead, under the power of evil, under the power of someone who has hold on you. But God, who is so rich in mercy and kindness, has delivered you. And set you free. You see, this is the wondrous force of the grace principle. That the one who pulls you out of the hole is the same one who enables you by his promised Holy Spirit to give you power in your life. To have freedom. To experience grace. To be transformed. To become more and more gracious. And to offer that same freedom and grace in all of your ways. The overarching message of this pastor to these believers in Galatians is this. Why do you want to go back into the hole? Now, if we look at this passage, there's a couple of things that I want us to see. Back to Galatians chapter 3. What has Christ rescued us from? Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. He's rescued us from the curse of the law. That's what he says in verse 13 of Galatians 3. What is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is being in the hole. It's bondage. The opposite of freedom is rules. It's regulations. It's a sense of imprisonment to my past and to my sin. To my sinful attitudes and ways. My, my judgments. My story. And that's what Christ has rescued us from. It's the curse of the law. And by the way, it goes all the way back to the beginning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you might hold your finger in Galatians 3 and go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. I want you to see this story. It goes all the way back to the beginning when everything was so good. Everything was so good because God had ordained it to be. He had provided for his creation in the garden 
But the scripture says at the beginning of Genesis 3 that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And she replied, well, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. See, she understood God's standard of righteousness. It was his garden. He had provided it for them. He only had one, one issue. That he just had one rule. He just didn't want them to come to a knowledge of evil. And so he provided for them everything they could possibly need and enjoy in the garden. And, and Eve understood that. This is about God's righteous rule in our lives. And I wonder, do you understand that about your life? This is really not about you. This is not about kind of what makes you feel good or what makes you feel happy or kind of gives you a sense of achievement or gladness. No, this is about God. This is about God's righteous rule in our lives. And it's his standard. Eve knew that. She acknowledged it. Even in the face of this kind of hissing, doubting, questioning kind of force and voice in her mind who said, listen, did God really say that? Well, God really did say that, but listen, we have all of this. There's only one tree that we're not supposed to eat from. And the serpent said, well, you won't die. <laughs> God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And so the woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some fruit and ate of it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing... The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. Is that a great picture? What? He still wants to come for a walk in the garden that he made. This is God. This is how good and gracious and providing he is. He hasn't changed. The garden hasn't changed. But something has gone terribly wrong. He still comes looking for these people he wants to go for a walk with them. He wants to have a relationship with them because that's what he's, do, that's what he's ordained. Look how this unfolds. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Hiding, see, always hiding. And then fear, I was afraid because I was naked. None of this was part of the original plan. The shame, that was not part of God's plan fear. Now that was also not part of God's vision. That all came as a result of somebody deciding they weren't going to live under God's righteous rule. That's the result, you see, of bondage. It, 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 it destroys freedom. Well, who told you you were naked? <laughs> the Lord God said. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, well, it was her. I like that. It was the woman you gave me. So there's a little bit of a blame game going on here. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Classic. Diversionary tactic. Then the Lord God asked the woman, well, what have you done? 
Well, she, she, she gets in on the blame game and says, well, it was the snake. It was the serpent who deceived me. See the problem? We just keep kind of pointing the finger. Well, it wasn't me. It's not my fault. I'm not responsible for my decisions. I'm not responsible for it. It's her. She's the one. No, he's the one who did it. If it, if it wasn't for that other person in my life, maybe I could live my life the way God has ordained. Well, if it wasn't for that experience or that happening in my past, it's just, just always pointing the finger. And God says, no, this is about what did you do? In response to what I have commanded. Well, it was the serpent, and the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you're cursed. Here comes the curse. Can you imagine? God did not want it to go this way. Now he's having to actually curse his creation. And so he curses the serpent. You are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild, and you're going to crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I'm going to cause hostility between you and the woman. You can, just, you can just feel the darkness of these words. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And then he said to the woman, I'm going to sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Another curse. And in the pain, you will give birth. You'll desire to control your husband. That wasn't God's original plan. <laughs> that there'd be enmity between a man and his wife, or a, a woman and her husband. That was not God's plan. It's part of the curse. Then he said to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, now the ground is cursed because of you. The ground that was blessed. The ground that you were to lord over and rule over. It's, it's now it's cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. And who doesn't feel the weight and the heaviness of just trying to scratch out an existence? Right? It's, just, it's, it's part of the curse. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Can you imagine flowers and freedom? Now it's thorns and thistles. Will you eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow? Will you eat food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? For you were made from dust, and into dust you will return. Wow, this is not, not good news. A curse is always the result of a rebellious spirit toward God. A rejection of his plan. That's why life is so hard. That's why there's so much heavy lifting out there and so much blaming, blaming someone else or a circumstance or a situation rather than believing and obeying God with a gracious, gracious, submissive spirit. And that's what a curse does. Because you did this, did what? Put yourself above God. Now, there's a passage in the New Testament that at first glance is quite bizarre, and, and I confess it's, it's still pretty much a mystery to me, but I, I want to take you there as well. Mark chapter 4, or Mark chapter 11, I should say. Mark chapter 11. So over to the New Testament. Uh, you can leave Genesis 3 and go to Mark chapter 11. This is the beginning of Jesus' um, newly inaugurated ministry in Jerusalem. He's just come into the city. There's wondrous celebration, of course. This is what we celebrate each year at Palm Sunday. And there's Hosanna, and there's singing, and there's praise. 
It's a wonderful thing. Praise God, Mark records at the end of verse 9. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon and then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples, which was like hometown. He just, he just went home to hang out with his disciples. It was a good place. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree that was in full leaf, but it was a ways off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. <laughs> Another curse. It sounds just like Genesis 3. <laughs> he looked at this tree. He's hungry. It's in full leaf. It, it, it's flowering, but there's nothing good coming from it. And Jesus curses the tree. And later on, the disciples came back that same way, and they saw that the tree had, had withered, and it was about to die. This is, a, this is not a good scene either. And the question is, and the disciples even ask it in all their humanity and all their honesty, what, what did the tree do? What in the world? How is it that Jesus can curse a tree for not having fruit when it's not even fruit season? And I think the answer is, is because he's the Lord, creator, God of the universe. That's how he can do it. He is the one that can bless or can curse. It is his prerogative and his alone. There's nothing good coming from this. He's the Lord of the universe. He, he can bring blessing or a curse. He's creator. He's the wondrous ruler of all things that are, made, uh, that are made seen and unseen. And he's the God and ruler over your life and over your family and over your situation and over your business and your experience. And you nor I have a prerogative to look at those things, good or bad, our seasons, our situations, our circumstances, and not fall wondrously and humbly at his feet and offer only praise and humility and graciousness and thanksgiving. And that fruit should bear from our lives, regardless of the season or circumstance, when we believe him and experience his grace and freedom. Instead, somehow, we like it in the whole. We like it down there. And we insist on just holding our stubborn attitudes and ways, refusing to accept and rejoice in what he's delivered us from, which is the curse of the law and the power and the hold of sin. That's what he rescued us from. 
He rescued us from the curse of self, from the curse of bondage, from the curse of self-effort and self-promotion and the sense that I am kind of controller and ruler of my own destiny in my own life. I can live as I please. And God says, no, you can't. But if you follow after me, if you trust me and you live your life in willing, gracious, humble submission to me, I'm going to give you a garden There's going to be fruit, and you're going to be blessed, and your family's going to be blessed, and everyone around you is going to be blessed. That's what freedom gives. That's what grace brings. So that's what he rescued us from. And the next question is, then how did he do it? Well, Galatians 3 tells us, As the scripture was read this morning, Galatians tells us that he rescued us from the curse of the law by taking the curse for us. When he was hung on the cross, Paul says in verse 13, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for what we did. Remember, he said to Eve, what have you done? He said to Adam, what is this you have done? He said to the serpent, what have you done? There was a curse as a result of that Jesus took the curse of my wrongdoing, of your wrongdoing, of every wrongdoing that could possibly be done. And he took it on himself when he hung on the cross. That's how he did it. He received to himself the blow of God's curse. Because the scripture says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, then God has blessed. You see, that's the opposite of the curse. God blesses the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers, you who are a believer in the promise, in the word of God, in what he's given to you as his holy righteous standard, you also will receive the Holy Spirit through faith. (laughs) That's a blessing. That's freedom. That's grace. That's what he's provided. By the way, when we get to the great passage in Galatians chapter 5, there's something that's called the fruits of the Spirit. How many could probably recite from memory the the fruits of the Spirit? Love, (laughs) right? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's a great list, isn't it? (laughs) It sounds like a really good list to me. I mean, it'd be fun if that list were on every door, going into every classroom in elementary school, middle school, high school, tomorrow in Vector County Schools. Sorry to bring up a tough subject, but we're a little bit ready to face some reality. Wouldn't that be a great list? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, (laughs) self-control. Or maybe put it on the, the door frame of your car or your minivan. Before you get in this van and ride to church, here's what needs to be operational. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Wouldn't that work? That would really work. Or in the workplace, or, you know, maybe before you go on a date with your, your, your whatever, your mate or your girl. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's a good thing. Here's the problem. None of those things are human. Not one. They are superhuman. They don't come from the human experience. 
They come only from God. You see, that's why Paul calls them in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. They are supernaturally formed within us by the Spirit of God. When we trust Him, when we believe His Word, when we obey, we are enabled to be loving. We are enabled to be kind. We are enabled to be gracious and gentle. We are enabled to be patient. And we are enabled to exercise a genuine self-control that is compelling and winsome and powerful in the lives of everyone around us, you see. You cannot muster it. You can't do it on your own. It comes from God. And that promise of the Spirit's power, just like salvation, comes by faith in Christ, in His grace. He has blessed us. Not only us, but everyone who believes, the Gentiles, everyone around you, can receive the blessing of God's promise of freedom, of power, of enablement through Jesus Christ. Why would you want to go back in the hole? Um, there's a phrase. We kick it around here quite a bit in other places, maybe in small group studies, I don't know. Great passage, maybe a compelling thought. And then someone says, well, what does that look like? <laughs> I want to change that question. What does it sound like? A couple of passages I want us to look at this morning. First of all is 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll go quickly. 2 Kings chapter 5. Old Testament. Great story. A king and a commander. 2 Kings chapter 5 says, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. He's a powerful man. Talented, gifted, and he's held in high regard by the king. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Terrible disease. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a, as a maid. So she's a servant. She's a slave now in the house of Naaman. And she's come from Israel. One day the girl said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria because he would heal him of his leprosy. So now this man, who's a great and mighty warrior and commander and in the favor of the king, but who is debilitated by this shameful Disease, leprosy, has gotten a witness of the power of God from a slave girl in his home. So now he has an opportunity. So Naaman um, told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Well, go and visit the prophet, the king Haram told him. I will even send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. Now that sounds good, a letter of commendation, recommendation. That connects in our culture, doesn't it? Not only go to the king, I'm going to send you a letter that has my signet on it. <laughs> okay? So he's going to send him along, but he's going to send him with a letter. 
So Naaman started out, and he carried as gifts 750 pounds of silver. That's a lot of silver. 150 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. And 10 sets of clothing. Uh, the letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want, to he- I want you to heal him from leprosy. So here they're going to go to this prophet, but they're going to take everything humanly possible in order to bring about the proper, cir- uh, the proper result. He's going to have a letter of recommendation. It comes from the king. He's going to have lots of gold and lots of silver. Maybe this. Maybe this will work. That's the plan. By the way, does that sound like our lives You know, we'll trust God. We we might believe him, but I'm going to bring this, and I'm going to bring this, and I'm going to bring this, and I'm going to bring this just to be sure I've got all the bases covered. It's a little convicting, isn't it? At least it is to me. When the king of Israel read the letter, now this king's thinking straight, he tears his clothes in dismay and says, this man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God? That I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went, here he comes, watch this, with his horses and chariots. Here comes this guy. He's got all the goods and he's kicking up dust. I've got chariots, and I've got horses, and I've got gold, and I've got silver, and I've got a letter of recommendation from the king. Just show me where this prophet lives. Man, does that not sound like the human spirit? I got this. Maybe he had a bumper sticker on his chariot that said, get her done. In Hebrew. I'd say it in Hebrew, but my Hebrew has left me. Get her done. I can, I got this. See, that, that's the human, that's the human experience. The problem with that kind of approach to God is it keeps us in the hole. It keeps us under the curse. And you can be a Christian, you can have been a Christian for 20 years, You could be feeling some measure of blessing in your life, but if you are not trusting God with these things and walking by faith, you are in the hole. So he went with his horses and chariots, but Elisha, Elisha doesn't even come out of his tent. He sends a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed if you're less busy. He's not, he doesn't even look out the window, so he doesn't see the horses, doesn't see the chariots. Doesn't ask for any money, so he doesn't know that there's gold. He doesn't know there's silver involved. He doesn't even bother to read the letter of recommendation. He doesn't even go out there. He just sends a servant out there and says, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to go humble yourself and get in the water and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And you will be healed. But Naaman became angry. (laughs) I love that. It it just ticked him off. And he stalked away. Can't you just see it? Fine. Oh, man. 
pride keeps us at so many levels from experiencing God's goodness. At least it does me. I thought he would at least come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over <laughs> At least he'd come out and like do, do one of these over me or something. That's, that's Naaman. At least I thought he'd wave his hand over me or do something spiritual. That's, doesn't that sound just like the human spirit? He's got to do something. And all, all this guy's asking him to do is go, go take a bath in the Jordan River seven times. What, listen, what is God asking you to do that you just, you just can't do because it's, it's just going to cost you too much or it's, it's too humiliating or somehow you've got to humble yourself before God and before everyone around you? Can you imagine this great commander saying, You're, you want me to get down into the Jordan River? And in fact, he even says, aren't the rivers back in Syria a lot more sparkling and clear water than the rivers of the Jordan River? I mean, it's brown and it's green. You go to the Jordan River today, it's brown and it's green. But the point wasn't the water. The point wasn't the river. The point was whether this man was going to stay in the hole or believe God. And isn't that the point of Galatians? Do you really want to go the rest of your Christian life still debilitated by anxiety and worry? Oh, I, just, I just can't stop worrying. I just, I just can't. I know you can't. That's the point. You can't. But God has rescued you from the curse of the law, and he can. He can give you a power. He can lift you out of that hole and place you on a place where you are no longer debilitated by those anxious ways. I just can't get past my past. I know you can't. That's the point. But God, who has rescued you from the curse of the law through Jesus Christ, can take you out of the hole of shame and out of the struggle from your past and place you on solid ground. See, that's what he can do. That's grace. That's freedom. And just like Abraham received the promise and was blessed, not because he was Jewish, not because he was a good keeper of the law, not because he was a great person, but because he believed God. And the question is for me, the question is for you, do you believe God? Do you believe him when he speaks into your life? As a Christian, do you believe that he will bless you and provide for you and, and give you the power that you need to walk this walk that pleases him and blesses everyone around you? That's the question. <laughs> Naaman said, man, I'm not doing it. I just can't do that. I can't humble myself and do that. I'm going back to Syria. Man, the water's clear. I, I just like it in the hole. But his officers, they tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. Wow, here's another witness 
<laughs> of God's goodness and grace in his life. And by the way, I just need to tell you because it's true in my life. I don't care how stubborn you can allow yourself to become. God is going to be faithful. You are going to be have, you're going to have witnesses of his grace in your life. God is going to speak into your life somehow. He's going to keep that in front of you. He's so faithful. So it's going to come from a child or it's going to come from a friend or it's going to come from someone who you work with. It's it's going to come from somewhere. He's going to keep that vision of freedom and grace before you. He's going to keep saying it just like he did here. First it was a slave girl in his own house. Now it's the witness of these servants. They're going, wait a minute, you're not thinking straight. By the way, I need people like that in my life and you need people like that in your life too who love you and care about you enough to say, listen, you're not thinking straight here. You're walking. You're walking according to your own deal. And Naaman, I'll do it. And the scripture says that Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he washed himself seven times and he came up and his body was clean. Not just clean, not just healed, but it was like the body, the, the, the flesh of a young boy. <laughs> See? God graciously gives when we believe. That's why we need to be gracious in our attitudes towards one another, toward our family, toward our mates and children, toward our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Be gracious in our giving, in our serving, graciously, freely coming outside of our holes and allowing God to use us and spend us for the gospel, to speak grace into the lives of those who are not yet free because where sin abounds, grace, grace superabounds. Final passage is Acts chapter 4, and we'll close with this. I'm sorry, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. There they are. They're going to church. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now that's a pretty typical scene. We're not surprised by it at all. We're not even shocked by it. In fact, we've become a bit indifferent perhaps to some of the deepest abject needs of the human condition. But here they are on their way to temple right on time, three o'clock, <laughs> and there's a, there's, a, there's a beggar, a lame man. He's been lame since birth, and he's asking for a handout. What an opportunity. Peter and John looked at him intently. I love that. Let's look at people intentionally. That's part of what it means to be gracious. There does not seem to be any judgmental spirit here. They just, they just looked at the man intently. I love that. 